0: Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from
2: all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
0: Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com/paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder without the e.com/paragonscomic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now on with the show.
1: things are going quite well, quite well, my God, no complaints, but, you know, it, it is uh, not the same, not the same at all. Weren't you just in the news, some show in Prague, Prague? Milan, darling, Milan. Super models. Ha! <laughs> I think super about them spoiled, stupid little stick figures with poofy lips who think only about themselves. <laughs> I used to design for gods. Hmm, but perhaps you'll come with a challenge, eh? I was surprised to get your call. E, I just need a pass job. Hmm, this is mega mesh, outmoded, but very sturdy, and you've torn right through it. What have you been doing, Robert? Moonlighting hero work? Uh, must have happened a long time ago. I see. This is a hobo suit, darling. Oh, you can't be seen in this. I won't allow it. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, maybe, but now... Oh, what do you mean? You designed it? I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. You need a new suit. That much is. A new suit? Oh, where the heck am I gonna get a new you suit? You can't! It's impossible! I'm far too busy, so ask me now before I again become sane. Wait, you want to make me a suit? No, you push too hard, darling, but I accept. It will be bold. Dramatic. Yeah. Heroic. Yeah, something classic. Like uh the Dyna Guy. Oh! He had a great look. Oh, the cape and the boots. No capes. Isn't that my decision? Do you remember Thunderhead? Tall storm powers. Nice man. Good with the kids. Listen. November 15th of 58. <laughs> All was well, another day safe when his cape snagged on a missile thing. Thunderhead was not the brightest ball Stratogale, in April 23rd, 57. Cape caught in a jet turbine. You, you can't generalize about this man! Express elevator! Diner guy! Snag on takeoff! Splash down! Sucked into a vortex! No Now go on, your new suit will be finished before your next assignment.
0: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And welcoming back uh, returning guest, although it's uh, it's been a while since last time we had him on, and that is John Bruning. John,
2: how are you doing today? I'm good, Perry. Thanks for having me on again. appreciate it. Looking oh, thanks for to coming... It.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, I was glad to get your email and, uh, but before we go too far into the movie or any other stuff, why don't you remind people a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah. Uh, sure. Okay. The name is John Bruning. Uh, I am a, a lot of things. Uh, I am, I am primarily a writer of, uh, fiction. Um, I am one half of a small press called, uh, Flinch Books. Uh, the other half is Jim Beard, also in the Ohio area. And we publish, uh, Long fiction and short story anthologies in the spirit of the old pulp fiction of the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, we've, been, we've been doing that for about eight years now. Um, I also have uh, various stories, short stories published in uh, other anthologies from other publishers. So I try to just get my stuff out there as much as I can in as many places as I can. Uh, that's sort of uh, – that's, that's my plan right now, such as it is.
0: Very cool. And uh, again, just to remind people about uh, a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested in uh, superheroes, superhero movies, anything like that?
2: Boy, uh, that goes back uh, almost as far as I do. I can't remember a time. I I think I I think it started with um, the animated cartoons on Saturday mornings in the late 60s. Um, My memory of that goes as far back as about 1968. Uh, That was sort of my gateway drug to comics when I started actually reading. Uh, I was reading comics pretty much from uh, from first grade onward. I have since drifted away somewhat to mainstream comics – or from mainstream comics uh, and more into just uh, prose fiction. But uh, um, I fell in love with the whole superhero concept when I was probably four, five, six years old, and I don't think I've ever quite shaken it in the 55-plus years since. So yeah, I, uh, um, I've been – I've been an avid follower of the whole uh, MCU in the last uh, what 10, 12, 15 years. Um, uh, yeah, it just uh, it's sort of somewhere along the line it got in my blood, and I'm I'm <laughs> approaching senior citizen status, and uh, it's it's still it's still very much uh, part of uh, my my DNA.
0: Yeah, Well, that, that's uh that's good to hear. Like when I was a kid, everybody always would tell me it's like, oh, there's going to become a day when you're not interested in all this superhero crap. And, you know, <laughs> I just celebrated my 40th birthday and that doesn't seem to be waning at all yet. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm coming up on 60 in just a few weeks. And uh, and yeah, I just uh, it if it hasn't gone away yet, it's not going to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and um. Another thing I, I ask guests is what are they interested in lately? What kind of things are kind of grabbing your interest? It could be, it doesn't have to be superhero related, but it can be
2: movies, books at TV, whatever. Um, you know, having said what I just said about the MCU, it it seems to be stalling somewhat based on what I see and what I've read in the recent media. Uh, I think I'm gravitating, I'm gravitating more these days towards, uh, noir fiction, Um <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, Modern-day writers like, say, uh, Max Allen Collins. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, – a lot of my favorite authors are deceased. Big fan of uh, Robert Parker, Ed McBain, um, uh, Mickey Spillane to a lesser degree. But uh, it seems like lately I'm, gener- I'm, I'm, I'm gravitating more towards noir fiction, uh, current – modern day as well as some of the classic stuff. Certainly uh, Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett, uh, pretty much across the board.
0: So it's more um, when you say nor
2: fiction, more stuff in like in, in the
0: prose novel space as opposed to like TV right, shows. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah. Although, um, you know, certainly uh, let's see. I I I don't do much TV, really. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have a couple streaming services coming into the house, but I don't spend a lot of time in front of the small screen. Um, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to it's it's funny. I, I, I'm trying more and more these days to put the phone down and just pick up uh, a book and just stay focused mm-hmm. on reading, reading prose fiction. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I've got such a big TBR pile both uh both prose books and, oh, and gosh. comics um, oh, but it's just yeah, with yeah. with two toddlers it it's so hard to to find the time and usually by the time they go down to sleep at night it's uh I'm just too tired to do anything other than yeah. watch TV or something.
2: You're you're going down 20 minutes later. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Means. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and no my exactly. to my TBR but my TBR pile is just it's 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 beyond hope i mean it's 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 bottomless at this point i think it's i'm the, 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 i mean which pile are we talking about the one immediately next to the bed or the one in my office or the one in the other corner of the office or the other in the, you know it just it's 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 probably well, well past 100 at this point so yeah, yeah it's yeah. I, I don't have enough years left in my life to actually read all the books i want to read <laughs> Yeah, I know. I just I I just resigned myself to that fact. Yes.
0: In fact, just the other day, I I finally put them both down to sleep. My son's actually pretty good. He usually goes down about eight o'clock and he usually just goes to sleep right away now. But my daughter, Mm -hmm. she'll she's more of a night owl. So she'll stay up as late as she can. And usually by the time she goes to sleep and the other day, I'm like, okay, she's asleep now. Now I can break out my Kindle. I can read some comics. And I was just too exhausted. I fell asleep in like 10 minutes.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I have bad news for you. I'm not sure that goes away once they grow, once they've grown up, because like you sort of train your body to start like, you know, falling asleep 10 minutes after they do. And, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're like, you know, you're, you're middle-aged and you're going to bed at nine thirty. So yeah, it's, there's <laughs> so just a, just a warning for you right now. Yeah. 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 I just need to, uh, I need to find a way to engineer more hours in the day. Good luck with that. I've been working out yeah. for the last 30 years. It's just not, just not working for me. So yeah.
0: Yes. Um, uh, beyond that, note, like I haven't there's not really much I've been able to keep up with myself. I mean, I saw um I'm almost up to date on Loki. There's still I think the fifth episode is the one that uh, mm-hmm. just came out that I haven't seen that yet. um, and so people who are listening to the show week to week, they know that I mentioned the same thing like the last mm-hmm. episode or the episode before that. Um, not a lot of time has passed between those recordings, and I just haven't had time to watch anything different or or consume anything different uh,
2: between i I've, I've- I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was just say between, you know, between the kids and, and work and, um, and this comic book project I'm working on. Uh, it's just, it, it's hard to find time to do anything else.
2: Oh, I know it just, and I, I've, I've got, I think I told you before we started recording, I've got my, my kids are older. They're off in college. Um, now my wife and I are starting to figure out how do we sort of like live together in this house by ourselves, that whole mm-hmm. empty nest thing. Um, we do certainly have more time for our interests now, but, uh, Um, the question is now, do we have the energy? So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I watched the first season of Loki. I have yet to dial into the second. Um, I I'm hearing good things, but I I have not yet dialed in. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to dig into that soon.
0: Yeah. What I love so much so far about it is, uh, and I, I I'm I'm out. Never sure on the pronunciation of his name, but uh, Kehu Kwan, who was um, short round in uh, yes. Temple of Doom, he's in yes. it too. And and he oh, really? is okay. uh, yeah, and he is great. He plays this character yeah. Ob Ouroboros, and he is just he's he's on fire. And I also saw him. It finally uh, I got to the party late, but I finally saw everything everywhere all at once. And oh, he yeah. was amazing in that. And it's just like um, I, you know.
2: I I I loved the movie. Don't ask me to explain it to you. I you know, I just I remember I remember watching it. Like you know, and oftentimes I'll 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 watch a movie, and if I really like it, or even if I don't like it, I'll post something on social media. Just hey, I just saw this. Blah blah blah. Here's my here's my two sentence review. And I, I think I just wrote something like what I just said. I, you know, great movie. Don't ask me to explain it. I can just just get on the ride and 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 hold on for dear life. It's pretty hey. much that's uh, pretty. That was that was pretty much my take on it. It's very good, but I just. You know, it's yeah, multi-dimensional and uh, just, just like there's there's an overriding message, but you really have to get all the way to the end to really grasp mm-hmm. it. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we'll be
0: talking about that actually later on in a few episodes. So for for anybody who great. wants to hear more in depth about that, we'll, we'll be talking about that. Um, we got to get we had an episode scheduled for um, I think a few months from now actually. So we've already got that scheduled up. Great,
2: great. Okay. Um,
0: but anyway, today we're talking about something different. Uh, today we are discussing the incredibles. Uh yes. it's funny, we um the, the timing on the recording of this actually worked out very interestingly because uh we had you come on want to come on to talk about the incredibles, and then we had someone else who wanted to come on to talk about incredibles too. And originally okay. the recordings were scheduled where it would have been perfect. We would have had Incredibles and then Incredibles too, like back to back, and then it didn't quite work out that way. So okay. the Incredibles So, people listening, Incredibles two episode should will already be out. So, and now we're going back and talking about Incredibles (laughs) one.
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: (laughs) Um. But anyway, what was uh your history with this movie? You know, two thousand four animated film from uh Brad Bird. Two
2: thousand four. Uh, I I was not familiar with Brad Bird, although he had done a fair amount of stuff prior to this. Um. I I was familiar with the whole Pixar experience because at, at the time my kids were very little, um, so I was kind of you know I was kind of dialed into the whole Toy Story thing and everything. Um, I had seen I had seen Iron Giant a few years prior. He did Iron Giant, I think. In I wrote this down. Um, he directed 99. Iron, the Iron G- Ninety Nine. Okay, and um, and I I was very impressed with that movie. It didn't do very well at the box office, but the critics loved it, and I loved it too. Um, so that was my, probably my first experience with Brad Bird. Um, I saw this in a theater with my wife, um, and I, I, it, it was like I, – I absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now at the outset of this conversation, you're going to have a hard time getting me to say anything negative about this movie. It just, uh, I absolutely loved it uh, for so many reasons on so many levels, and, and you know, I'm sure we can get into a lot of it. But uh, um, yeah, I, I didn't know a whole lot about Brad Bird prior to this other than iron giant but um when i when i when i when i realized he had directed both it kind of made they're two very different films but yet it kind of made sense to me it, it, i could see i could i could i could see the through line between between the two even though they're I very know. different films one is a little bit one's a little more serious and darker the other is much brighter and more lighthearted. but you, you could you can kind of see his fingerprints on both movies if you if you look closely
0: yeah yeah um so 2004 i would have been uh i was in university at the time and uh i had i i wasn't i kind of missed the boat on the whole pixar thing because you know i had watched toy story in the theaters and liked it mm-hmm. enough but i was like you know i think i was in you know still in elementary school or maybe junior high when that came out so um mm-hmm. so that was more interesting and then as i you know as you know probably a lot of uh teenagers do i kind of went through um like oh disney animation or pixar and all that that's for kids right and so i kind of drifted away from it during that part even though i saw it was a superhero film like it just it was never really on my radar same thing with the iron giant i missed the boat on that one as well Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so but i had heard about it lots of people talking about this movie like from the time it came out everybody was the the um the thing that people have dis the way people have described this movie the shorthand they've used over and over again for, you know almost the past twenty years now we're coming up on the twentieth anniversary next year, um is it's the best Fantastic Four movie that's
2: not a Fantastic Four movie, you know what I I, sw- I, I honest to God Perry I was gonna I was gonna fire that almost the exact same <laughs> line at you I just. I, I total I I thought I was thinking about this prior to this recording. I'm thinking if 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 I could sum this movie up in one phrase, I would say it's the best Fantastic Four movie never made. It really. Well, I, hate, uh, I hate to tell 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 you this, but it's not the most original <laughs> idea anyone's no, had. <laughs> I guess it's not. I guess it's not. But I will tell you this though. Along those same lines, um, as I said, I saw we, what this came out in October of '04. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I think I saw it shortly after it opened, um, and then. You may recall uh, about about seven or eight months later, in July of '05, is when the first Tim Story Fantastic Four movie came mm-hmm. out uh, from uh, 20th Century Fox, and I remember I I went I saw that in the theater by myself. I remember walking out thinking, you know, I saw a much better version of this movie about eight months ago, because it, 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 if it's, and because some of the scenes are very similar if if you mm-hmm. watch closely and but 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 it was done much better in pixar it just it just they just only the names were changed but it was i think it was a much better a much better fantastic four film absolutely yeah.
0: yeah i think um i was never as anti the tim story films as a lot of people were um we actually covered them uh a while back on the show with helen conley but yeah. especially when i first saw it in the theater i i i really kind of enjoyed the first one and i really liked the second one the first time i saw it too over time my mm-hmm. opinions definitely cooled on both of those mm-hmm. um But I could find good things about them in each one. But I think one of the reasons why I didn't have the same negative reaction that a lot of other uh, fans had to that first movie was because I hadn't seen The Incredibles. So I didn't have that comparison in mind.
2: Right. Like my only
0: comparison was the other superhero films at the other live action superhero films at the time
2: or the Roger Corman one. (laughs) Right, they weren't terrible by any means. I, mm. you know, I just, I, I, I would just wouldn't say they really just lit a fire under me. And I no, think, they were um, more disappointing than anything. Lots yeah, of missed opportunities, of, I think. Kind of lukewarm, I guess is the word I would use. But yeah, 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 um, yeah. But I, I just just wore, if, that.
0: if we had uh, the the Josh Trank com- for comparison at that point, though, I think they would have been much better
2: received as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so,
0: but my but, first uh, exposure to uh, Brad Bird was really. Um, uh, Ghost Protocol, the Mission Impossible movie. That was the first movie of yeah. his that I that I actually saw, and and when I saw his name and I looked him up and I'm like, oh, he also did The Incredibles and Iron Giant. Those are two movies that I've heard a lot about and I should get around to watching at some point. Mm-hmm. And it was still a few years before I actually did um, Iron Giant. I actually first watched, I think, like maybe last year, and it was for this show. Um, but right. the Incredibles, right. I had uh, watched that the first time a few years ago i think it was probably a, before the second one came out and and you know how when you watch a movie that's been hyped up for years and you watch yes. you sit down and you finally watch it and you're like uh that wasn't as good as everybody th- said it was mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that that happens to me a lot but that did mm-hmm. not happen to me with The Incredibles, right? The Incredibles, okay. I saw it and I'm just like, okay, I get why everybody has been raving about this movie for like the past 10 or 15 years. Like right. it is right. – like you said, it is hard to say anything bad about this movie. It is so well done. It is clear that Brad Bird is um, is a huge fan of superheroes, right? The, yes. The, and both in um, – but also not to the point that he can't have fun with it. Like he can't well, make fun uh, of the concept. Yes
2: and that was a point that i wanted to make it is it, it he 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 pulls off the very difficult trick of being both reverent and irreverent at the same time yes and, and it just uh, and does both successfully i mean you know it's it's he he's he's uh, he he honors the the genre when he's supposed to and he kind of winks at you or winks at it when when you know when when he's when he has the opportunity to do so and it's just it's it's seamless all the way around and and you hear this a lot about you know animation, especially from the, the you know the 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 uh, the Warner Brothers tradition, about how you know the the the, re- the really great animated films or shorts or whatever are the mm-hmm. ones that appeal to both the adult and the child on different levels. Um, I think this movie does that brilliantly. I mean, I think you know at, at the very least this movie is clever. Um, I, I would go so far as to say that Bird is at least in the context of this film is a genius. I just think he's mm-hmm. just. He he walks such a fine line and does it so expertly and so deftly that um it's hard not to love this movie. I I really think so. No, yeah, and I was thinking about that too, like uh
0: because I would canceled the subscription now because of the the price hikes and all the all the crap that zaslav has been pushing. But but when I had mm. HBO Max, I started watching some of those old Looney Tunes shorts. And yeah, right, right. And, and yeah, it is. It's it it is amazing. When you go back and you watch
2: those as an adult, and you realize like yes. how many levels they were really working on. Yes. <laughs> Whereas as a kid, I, it was just kind of like the slapsticky stuff. I re- remember sitting on my on my couch again on Saturday mornings, and you know I'm watching this stuff, and I'm laughing hysterically as as a five or six year old. In walks my dad, and he stands there watching with me for like five or ten minutes when he's in the middle of like doing something else, and he's laughing too. And I, at the time, I didn't realize that he and I were laughing at two totally different things. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> But that's that's really I mean, that's really you know it that's very smart filmmaking for 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 a, a, for a shop that's just making short eight minute animated films. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I think Bird does that perfectly. He 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 definitely he dives into that tradition and just carries it on perfectly.
0: Yeah, I mean he does. I mean this this movie is mm-hmm. it, it's got so many things going for it. Um, and you know it's funny because I was thinking. I can't help but compare this to the second one while I was Mm -hmm. rewatching it the other night because that one was so fresh in my mind. And how, I think one of my biggest criticisms of the second movie, as much as I enjoyed it, was that I felt like they were trying to do too much in it. Whereas this one, it feels like Bird knew exactly how much he could fit in the film without pushing it too far and losing sight and losing focus.
2: Yes. I I also think... um... I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think, uh, you know, you you can't. Let's let's face it. I mean, okay, he made he made a sequel 14 years after he made the first mm. one. That's that's a I mean that's a that's pretty risky because you know as we all know, the 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 zeitgeist the, the zeitgeist not just of 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 American film but American culture, you know, it can change like in a matter of four or five years. So the idea of trying to like uh, do a sequel about a movie that you made. F- A a sequel of a movie you made 14 years ago, and 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 hope that you can like cash in on the same magic that you created the first time out. That's uh, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty big gamble. Um, I think he pulled it off, but I think you're right. I think he he tried to cram a little bit too much in there, um, the second time around. But to his credit, though, he didn't. What he didn't do, I which was smart, was like go back and look at all the things that worked in the first movie and just amp those things up mm-hmm. because that, that's, yeah. that's a lot of times that's what a sequel does. It's just like, okay, right. what worked in the first, first movie, let's do more of that. Um, right. to his credit, he didn't do that. He came up with a fresh story, I think. So, although it's a story that <laughs> it starts 10 minutes after the first story ends. Um, yeah, that was a, and you know, speaking of what you said about the, you know, you don't making a sequel
0: 14 years after the original one, usually when that's done, they show that passage of time, right? And it's like let's yes. pick up with these characters, you know, 14, 20 years later, and see what they yes. where they are now, as opposed to him. He said that no, I wanted to pick up right after the first one. So yes, th- literally right a, after the first one. Yeah, like yeah. It's a little minutes. bit. It's a little bit. Even just from a you know from an artistic standpoint, it's it's kind of hard to go back into that mindset you had mm-hmm. fourteen years ago. Right. So it's uh, so it's it's a different feel that way. Um, right, and. And I think like, sorry. So yeah, getting back into that mindset is is a difficult thing to do. And I don't think he quite nailed it as much as he did with this one. I don't mm-hmm. think that the second one quite feels like it's it's in that same mindset. But
2: I mean, it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. I just watched um, it yesterday, as a matter of fact, the sequel. Um, oh, yeah? The, the funny thing is, I, the first, I actually saw it once before. I saw it at a drive-in. Um and it was like you know i think it was i'm gonna say it was august it was hot uh, the our, the line of sight where we were parked was not good um i was sitting outside the car so my experience of the sound with the soundtrack was not good um i was getting eaten by mosquitoes I, I really i had no memory of the movie i i was watching it last night thinking I, I don't remember any of this i remember none of this So it was like seeing it for the first time last night when the truth is i saw it once before shortly <laughs> after it came out so yeah but uh you know i agree i think um I think uh, uh, probably not quite the same magic as the first film, but certainly quite good in its own way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and going back to this one, I thought it, it's funny when I'm watching it now, because the first time I watched it, I, it was before I had kids before I was married or any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And it, it, it hits so much differently when you've had, you know, some semblance of those experiences Um, even just like, you know, him and his job, right? The whole midlife crisis thing that he's, he's obviously struggling with is it, it right. rings so true. Um, whereas, oh, yeah. you know, if you watch this movie when you were a kid, right, that would have just been, you know, a funny scene, but here now right. you can start see you can under, like we were saying about the Looney Tunes stuff, you can start understanding it on that deeper level as well.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. To to a, to a, to a to an eight year old, it just looks like a grumpy dad to, right. to you or me. It's like, <laughs> that's not far from my life at all. You know, just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's the thing I think that this movie does so well. It just and maybe I'm this, maybe this is a blinding flash of the obvious. I don't know. But it just um, it you know, it, it it does a very clever, uh, lighthearted, but interesting look at um, traditional family roles. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's it just, you know, the, the the dad is the, you know, the, the, the breadwinner, the head of the family, or at least he perceives himself as such. And he feels like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. So that's that's the guy who's the strong guy. You know, the, the matriarch is trying to, you know, is trying to do a million things, be a good wife, be a good mom, be a good homemaker. Um, Maybe she has a career. So she's stretched in a million different directions. And, uh-huh. you know, and then you've got the adolescent daughter feels marginalized or invisible. So, of course, mm-hmm. she's the, you know, the and then you've got the I'm going to say Dash is like eight or ten years old. And he's just a bundle of energy with very little impulse control. So. Right. So that it would make sense that he'd be that, you know, the super fast kid who can move it, it, at, at the speed of light, practically. Mm-hmm. So it just it's um. You know, again, maybe that's obvious, but watching that sort of that layer of the story unfold was was interesting. It's just like, you know, these people are very much, you know, their personalities are very much manifest in their powers.
0: Hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's a bit on the nose on 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 the surface, but the way Mm -hmm. Bird executes it. um, Mm -hmm. it, 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 Like if if you look at that just on paper, like you said, becomes like, well, yeah, that's obvious. But but the way it's executed is it doesn't it doesn't seem ham-fisted or it doesn't seem,
2: you know, too obvious at all when you're watching the movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I noticed it till the second time I watched it. Mm. I've seen it like four or five times, but I don't think I really noticed that until the second time. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just dense. I don't know. But it just like, but when I did notice, it was like, of course, that's exactly what he's doing. So, yeah. And and I think he does, he does some of that in the second movie, although it's, it's more about like the gender roles in a marriage in the second movie. He's like, you know, again, I'm, you know, he's like, I I'm competing with my own wife, my own spouse and, and mm-hmm. uh, I I want to I want to be the lead guy and and I you know I I I love my wife but I I I still want to be the you know, the captain of the team and I I'm feeling resentful when she's out there in the spotlight and I'm not and uh yeah. which is again is sort of like a, a kind of a dynamic that you see in a lot of marriages sometime or another.
0: Right. Although what I think Bird did good about that in the second movie is he he didn't portray it as antagonistically as it usually would be in that kind of scenario right, right? exactly it was, yeah he was still um uh he was still thinking you know bob was still thinking like, like you know I, I i yeah i'm jealous but i still want to be supportive of my wife so i'm still gonna right. you know stick it through so i i like the right. way that they handled that dynamic in a mature in a much more mature right. and right. realistic way as opposed to the the this the, the more sitcom-y one i'm jealous yes. of my wife and everybody's gonna know about it type of way right
2: right right he's trying to take the high road but he's still feeling some of those feelings, yeah. That's, right, that's true. And, yeah. which is you know
0: totally understandable because obviously mm-hmm. if you know if you know your your spouse or even your friend or someone in your circle is you know having more success than you, especially if it's in a field that you enjoy doing, right. you're gonna feel some degree of resentment, even you know however illogical right. it might be.
2: Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So he was he did a good job of you know exploring those dynamics, family dynamics, marriage dynamics in a movie that you really wouldn't expect to see that in. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: um and in fact it you know it's funny that i'm watching this now and i'm just looking at the wikipedia page and i found something interesting because um fairly recently i'd covered uh did did a recording of princess mononoke the miyazaki Mm -hmm. film for my other podcast japan on film and Mm -hmm. i i see here during um uh production um uh, Miyazaki actually visited Pixar and he saw like the film story reels. And when Bird asked him if the reels made any sense or if it was just American nonsense, Miyazaki said, I think it's very adventurous. That I think what you're trying to do is very adventurous for an American film.
2: Hmm, interesting. Okay. So yeah, I just thought that I, I, was
0: a nice little um, aside yeah. there.
2: It's, it's, there's a lot going on in The Incredibles that you wouldn't expect to see from an animated superhero film. There's a lot, right. a, a lot of like, Character development uh, that you wouldn't expect in a film of that nature.
0: Well, I think in general that's one of Pixar's strengths. Is they seem to be adopting kind of the the Studio Ghibli model, where you can have something that is, you know, primarily geared towards children, but is also exploring these deeper and more adult themes without going into right. too adult territory,
2: and without having to go too dark either. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's always lighthearted. There's no. It it, it rarely I mean, I think there's that moment when Bob thinks that his entire family has been wiped out by this by this missile has been launched at the plane. Mm-hmm. that's kind of dark you know when he and when he takes uh um uh mirage the 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 female character by the neck and basically threatens to just break her neck because he's got nothing left to lose. That's a little mm-hmm. dark but but for the most part, it explores a lot of those dynamics without having to go too far down that road yeah, exactly. My son is taking all my papers that I need to grade out and <laughs>
0: All right, give him a red pen. Uh, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they've already drawn on the walls. My my daughter, uh, she she loves taking crayons and using them on the walls instead of the paper. <laughs> uh, so I also wanted to talk about some of the other stuff in here because one of the things that uh, strikes me about this movie and you know the the way that superheroes are portrayed and like their their changes is it it kind of reminded me of the. The setup for uh, the for Civil War for in Marvel Comics, um, very similar kind of idea, although yes. handled in a much better way, I'd say.
2: Yes, I, and I was. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to myself. Um, I I I went back and looked at the timeline. This movie predates the Civil War saga in Marvel Comics by two years. Yeah. Um, and which I can't help but wonder, and I don't want to, you know, suggest any kind of, you know, I I just it It struck me as a huge coincidence that two years after this movie came out, Marvel took a very 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 similar concept and built like a what a a fourteen month multi part multi character saga around basically the same premise mm-hmm. and um you know i'm not I'm not suggesting anything was stolen, but I just wonder if you know if if somebody saw something and said, hey, that's kind of a cool idea. Maybe we can riff on that a little bit. I don't know, because it just seems like it's very close in time. I, I, what's your take on that? I think
0: it's I think it's very likely that they I mean, because you see this kind of stuff happening all the time in in, in comics or in movies where something does well. And, and some other studio, some other creator thinks, oh, that's cool. Let me try. A, let me take that basic idea and do work it in it and rework it in like my own style type of thing. So, I mean, right there's the what's that old axiom like uh all all artists steal but you know but but you know some,
2: but some are just better at hiding it <laughs> something right, along right. those lines
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and i would i would almost say that th- that wasn't a very good good, uh, good job of hiding it i mean it just seems like given the short amount of time that transpired between the film and and the comic series and the the premise was very similar very I, similar I, I, yeah it's it, it, it's it's almost like wow It's it's hard it's hard to believe that that idea came to the Marvel creators out of nowhere because it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's just a matter of like, what, 24 months between the the release of the film and the launch of that series.
0: But you also had something similar where I think you could also say that Brad Bird also, you know could have stolen this kind of idea because you saw very similar ideas in Watchmen with the whole idea of, you know, because right. the difference is right. in the civil war comics, it was just, we want you working with the government. Whereas right. in the, in this movie, it's, you know, we're outlawing we superheroes and we want yeah. you to go away and we'll help you relocate right. as a thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a more polite version of what, what, what happened in Watchmen with the, sure. with the sure. keen act or even in mm-hmm. um you know the Justice Society, and I think it was the '80s or '90s where they did that series um, uh, that you know saw the Justice Society, you know, breaking apart because of the, uh, the the McCarthy
2: hearings. Right, right. It's it's an interesting. I mean, and it wasn't the last time we heard that kind of concept either. Just the idea mm-hmm. of like you know a government entity interceding with the whole superhero initiative. And at, at what right. point does? At what point is it determined that they are more doing more harm? Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, we
0: had a we had a bit of a technical difficulty there, but um, you just finished saying that um, when you figure out the humans, are, the heroes are doing more harm than good, and yeah, that's like, an idea that that's played with here. Um, and let's talk about some of the the ways that it kind of. Pokes fun or you know criticizes some of the uh the traditional tropes of superhero comics i mean right from the the main villain right this whole idea of a you know young overeager uh sidekick who wants to be like the hero and you right. know ends up getting his life ruined because of it like he wasn't actually his sidekick but it's it's definitely that kind of idea they're playing with there a little bit
2: yeah the, the whole idea of you know uh, uh the 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 character whose intentions or whose original intentions are good, but uh, he turns, he becomes so soured by circumstances or he, you know, he's, he's spurned by his, by his hero. So he, Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, it turns him, it turns him in a, in a, in a a direction where he's much more dark and angry and, and vindictive. Um, You know, Jason Lee, I mean, (laughs) he's so good because like his voice is such that he, he didn't, as far as I could tell, he did not alter his voice at all between the time he was playing incredible boy who i'm guessing is like what 12 years old maybe 15 at the outside Mm. and then the adult syndrome his voice is such that it works regardless it's sort of like on one hand it's adult uh, on the other hand it's youthful it's sort of both at the same time he didn't really have to like make any kind of a leap in terms of you know okay now i'm going to talk like a kid now i'm going to talk like an adult it it didn't matter i'm just sort of this maniacal character who could be any age and Mm. uh I, I think he was a good pick for that role, but yeah. He was. And it's funny.
0: I was, when I was watching the movie, I forgot that he had done the voice and, and I kept thinking like, oh, that voice sounds so familiar. And then I looked up and like Jason mm-hmm. Lee, I'm like, oh, right. And it, it makes so much sense. He's basically, you know, I mean, a good way of describing syndrome is what if Brody went to the dark
2: side? <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you're talking about um, send-ups and just, you know, sort of the, 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 the way it pokes fun. I mean, you could do an entire episode on Edna mode. I mean, yes. Um, you just, I mean, you know, the, the, the expression, no capes has become like iconic since the movie came out. I mean, how many times have you heard that in conversations with fans or fanboys? Just, you know, and it kind of like, it pokes fun at like when you really step back and look at the whole idea of a cape as part of a superhero, a fighting costume, Mm -hmm. it makes absolutely no sense. It is like, it's more of a hindrance than it, than an enhancement. And, uh, and she just, you know, and, and it's Bird doing the voice. It's just so good. I mean, it just – Yes. Um, it, it just – um, she, she's such a great character. And, like, it, 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 I think what, what what surprised me was – I mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Edith Head. She was a a, a very well-known a, – a very successful Hollywood costume designer in, like, from, like, the 40s to the 70s, maybe even farther than that. I, she She was – she was very well known, and ho- she has like she 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 got like eight Academy Awards for costume design over the course of twenty four years. Oh wow! Um, if you find pictures of hers of her on on Google, you will. It's she is basically the template for Edna Mode, and 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 uh, she's got that sort of like that haircut, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the flat front and the big glasses, the big the big big eyes behind the big round glasses. And I remember watching this thing, and I remember Edith Head when she was still alive, and she was. I mean, costume designers tend not to be celebrities, but she was just such an eccentric character that she was. And I remember watching this movie thinking, well, this is just riffing on Edith head. And, and I, it was obvious to me. And I remember <clears> at the time I was reading a lot of reviews and a lot of press around the movie. Cause I liked it so much. And it seemed like no one was noticing that, but me, but it, it, since then it's become obvious, but like, I kept waiting to read about, Oh yeah, this, this Edna character, she's obviously patterned after Edith head. Um, but no one seemed to be getting it at the time. But now it just it's like it's like in retrospect, a lot of a lot of what's written about this movie clearly makes that connection. But uh, yeah, such a great character. I mean, she's become just as iconic as as the movie itself. I think.
0: I think so too. I think she's probably you know arguably the most iconic uh, character in the movie. I mean that that scene when they're the the no cape scene is one of my favorite scenes in this in this film. Um and and yeah, to your point, I I just looked this up and uh, Bird had actually described her as like a, a, a mix of Edith head and, um, and Q from the James Bond films. Um, okay, okay. And yeah, he does that. The, the, the voice he gives her is, and I guess this is probably a case where maybe he had tried a bunch of different people to, to see who, who could, and just no one could have gotten the voice that he wanted the right way. So I think that's why he just did it himself. I and mean, that's just my speculation that, on it.
2: I read that he actually, uh, he, he tried, uh, he tried uh, Lily Tomlin, And she, 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 I guess she, she tested for it. And she said, you know what? Brad does it better than anybody. It should be Brad. And she's like, she respectfully declined the offer. And she just, she said, you should do this because, you know, when you, when you sit in the, in the writer's room and you do this voice, it just cracks everyone up. You should be Mm -hmm. the one doing this voice. And uh, so she backed out of the whole thing and he wound up doing it. It just, it's just so good. I mean, I, I've never heard or seen. Edith Head in an interview I don't know if she has a European accent like that I have no mm-hmm. idea she she was I think her father was was a German immigrant and her mother her mother was from Missouri but she, her parents were also like German and Austrian I don't know if she had an accent or not but just but just the way he lays it on so thick is just so good it's just mm-hmm. I mean it, it, she steals every single scene she's in and you could make the case that she actually steals the movie she really yeah does. I think you could but, yeah mm-hmm. Um, you know
0: it's funny that you—I didn't know that about Lily Tomlin, but it's funny because, in a kind of roundabout way, she eventually did get to play a version of uh, Edna because, you know, in Into the Spider Verse, she plays the Aunt yes. May, who is kind of like yes. the the uh, Edna slash Alfred to that universe's Peter Parker.
2: Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a yeah, she's a talented woman. You, you don't see much of her a whole lot anymore, but um, it it. it you know, I, I just recently read that she had she had been considered for for Edna and it made sense. But it also made sense that Bird wound up doing it because I think he yeah. knew exactly what he wanted from that character. And he, he was the only one who could pull it off. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it and it it definitely worked
0: out. I mean, uh, he, he that voice is probably that voice is probably the most iconic voice in this movie. Like, I think oh, yeah. whenever you say the Incredibles, I think pe- the first thing people
2: probably hear is Edna screaming, no capes. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because i th- I read somewhere that like, there have been a number of, a n- number of like magazines and publications have like published lists of like, you know, the, the most, the most famous supporting characters in, 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 in the history of animated film. She's mm-hmm. always in the top 10. She's always in the top 10. It like I've, of of four or five different lists I've seen. She, she's always, she always ranks high.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's funny that the and the, the line about no capes it 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 has a few different criticisms of uh, superhero media baked into there first it's like you were saying the whole idea of a cape in itself is pretty impractical like the only real purpose mm-hmm. of the cape in the comics is just because visually it it it's a very much more striking image on a page it helps sure. convey movement sure. um right. whereas uh, and the whole idea of no capes too also can be a leveled at a criticism of animation because you know one of the things that animators hate to do is to animate capes because it is so right. difficult to do in yeah, fact yeah. in um you know in superman the animated series and like all superman movies since then he doesn't have the s shield on the cape and the reason why is it's because it's too difficult to animate yes. that s shield on a moving cape
2: yes yeah i never thought of that but yeah i'm i'm trying to remember i i was watching animated superman cartoons in the late 60s voiced by bud collier and i think Mm -hmm. i think you're right i think there was no yellow shield on the back of the cape now that you mention it i'm not sure about the older
0: ones but i definitely know on uh on superman the animated series there wasn't one and and then i remember when superman returns was in production they said that they weren't using the shield on the back of the cape and that's the reason why and so um you mean the, the live action
2: superman returns
0: yes yeah yeah
2: yeah. Because okay. the a lot know, of the
0: cape scenes were done with CGI,
2: and I know it wasn't. Uh, there was no, there was no insignia on uh, Man of Steel either.
0: No, no, same. Okay. And also same reason. Yeah. So that's why they don't do it because it's just it's just too difficult to animate, and they just don't want right. to deal with the hassle. Um, right. Right. Which makes sense, but it's also so that, and if you know that. Um, that knowledge of that animation that no capes line also has a has another layer of uh meta meaning to it
2: it's like somebody somebody in in you know in in a production room might have said that that those very same words like no we're not doing any capes on these characters yeah exactly uh
0: although still they do keep the other very impractical superhero trope in the costumes which is the underwear over the pants
2: right 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 (laughs) and the uh and the the uh, the domino mask over the eyes that's supposed to just completely <laughs> you know completely fool the you know all of all of the public and uh, mm-hmm. you know, no no one will ever know that it's this is really uh, this is really Bob Parr Bob and Helen Parr because they have a domino mask over their eyes so yeah yeah <laughs>
0: um what do you think of um, uh, Samuel L
2: Jackson as Frozone in this I thought he was great I you know it's funny because it, it just it, it when I first saw the movie many years ago, I thought, you know, it 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 was becoming pretty apparent by then that this was an actor who really, in some way or another, wanted to be around superhero, product superhero storytelling. I mean, he mm-hmm. he had done he had done what was it Unbreakable, uh, the, yeah. the Shyamalan movie. Um, uh, what else had he done at that point? I don't recall. But 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 then and since then, it's become obvious. This is a guy. This is an actor who really. Loves the genre, loves the medium. Um, obviously, you know, he became Nick Fury for several movies. Um right. I, he, he was, you know, he he's he's so good at like kind of like riffing. I mean, I I I when I watch this movie, I always wonder how how much is this how much of this is scripted and how much is this is ad libbed especially the arguments with his wife, you know, it just it's sort mm-hmm. of like you never see her, she's always a voice coming from some other part of the house. And uh like it just the way he talks to her, it's just very much. It's 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 very much like a, you know, loving but bickering couple. And he's mm-hmm. got this sort of side gig that he really loves and can't give up. And uh, um, he 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 plays that so well. And uh, um, I, I I you know I just thought he's a great addition to the cast. I think one of the cool things that about him in this movie is it's.
0: I think. If you're not very clued into Samuel L. Jackson's voice, you could actually watch this whole movie and not even realize that that's necessarily him because he is he's a lot more subdued in this movie than he usually is in most of his
2: uh most of his uh roles. Yes. Yes. And what the, and the thing that you don't well you, you don't see it as much here. A, a lot of times especially in Pixar, uh, but in animation in general, a lot of times the animators will make an effort to to, to, for the character to somewhat resemble the voice actor, mm-hmm. maybe not completely, but somewhat, you don't see any of that with the Frozone character. I would say right. Frozone looks, looks very little, if anything, like Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. I, I, would say, I would say Bob Parr looks somewhat like Craig T. Nelson, and I would say Helen Parr looks somewhat like, like um, um, oh my god, uh, uh, Holly Hunter. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I, I, I would say that Frozone doesn't look, a, to me, doesn't look a whole lot like Samuel L. Jackson. So, yeah, yeah. so you, I mean, a lot of a lot of times the animators will kind of give you that like sort that subtle cue. Like, you think you recognize this voice? Well, look at this face. We kind of matched it up. But I don't think you see that as much in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's a good transition to talk about the other actors. Uh, what did you think of um, uh, Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter?
2: I thought they were I mean, I, I remember uh, in the was it the 80s? There was a there was a TV series that Craig T. Nelson uh, starred in for. A number of seasons. I want to say maybe four years. He's called Coach. He played a football coach. Oh yeah, the nineties. And... Yes, that's what i was saying. The nineties. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, and uh, and and Bob Parr reminds me a lot of that character. Just sort of like this sort of meat and potatoes. Uh, you know, I think I think the 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 character in Coach was a former athlete himself. Just mm-hmm. kind of, uh, kind of big, bulky. Maybe a little too bulky. Like he got a little soft in the middle, but like he's still his heart's in the right place. Um. I think Craig T. Nelson does that real well. I think he Mm. was kind of, I think in some respects, Bob Parr is a bit of a riff on, on the, on the coach character to some degree. I think so too.
0: And I think too, because like a lot of, when this movie came out, you know, 2004, like I was saying, a lot of people of my generation, maybe a little bit younger would probably have uh, had that image of Craig T. Nelson and that voice associated with a father-like figure, not only from coach, but also from, um, uh, what was that movie? Uh, Poltergeist.
2: Poltergeist. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, he definitely he he definitely uh, has the dad persona. Yeah, he's uh you know I mean he's probably like he's probably he's probably pretty close to eighty by now, but you know back then it just he was the he was the, in that sweet spot of like middle age, not too deep into middle age. He would you you he would have like you know a couple of maybe a couple of teenage kids, um, very much down to earth dad kind of guy. So it would make sense to put him in a role like this. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. you know, he's got that, you know, that gruff kind of personality, but not yes. too, he's able to do comedy and he's able to do gruff, but he's, um, but he doesn't like lean too far in either direction. Right. Like, you know, for right. example, if you had like a, like a Tim Allen, who is much more slapsticky um, yes. or um... oh, what's the, what's the other guy I'm breaking out his name, but he was in uh, that, that 70s show.
2: Oh, I know who you're talking about. I can see his face. I, I can't think of the actor's name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Kurtwood Smith, that, that's who I was thinking of.
2: Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas
0: Kurtwood Smith has that, has also had like, like that dad persona, but he's much more, you know, he's much more of a hard ass. And I don't think that kind mm-hmm. of, I don't think either one of those types of personalities would really have worked for,
2: for Bob. You need someone who's able to kind of like toe that line between the two. I mean, Bob is somewhat self-absorbed, but not as much as those other two characters you're talking right. about. Yeah. And Bob yeah. knows how to step out of his own head for a minute and kind of check in and like, where's you know, what's my wife dealing with right now? What are my kids dealing with right now? And uh, at the end of the day, it's 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 about my wife and kids more than it's about me. I think I think mm-hmm. Craig T. Nelson does uh, does a better job of that than those other two actors you're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and Holly Hunter, too. Like she, um, I, you know, I, I love her in this movie, but she also really impressed me in the in the second one, too, where we saw her and when we saw their roles basically rehearsed. Um, yes. Yeah. But, you know, she's got this. um in some ways she's you know she's a more effective hero than um than mr incredible is i think is kind of what the
2: movie seems to be hinting at well is she and and again going back to the whole traditional family roles thing i mean she you know she's like like many wives my certainly my own included she's the one who has to be thinking a couple steps ahead because mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm i'm right there in the moment you know i'm trying to figure out what to do right now and she, but she's already like you know She's already thinking about what what do we have to do what, what's the next step or what's what 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 do we have to be thinking about two two or three steps from now and it, she does a really good job of that like she you know he's he's the brawn but mm-hmm. she and that not to not to say that he's dumb but she's like she's like the quicker sometimes she, she's the quicker thinker than he is mm-hmm. yeah
0: um and you know what's funny i was because i saw this you know i i, I rewatched incredibles i watched incredibles too about a week or two ago for that episode. And then I rewatched this one. Um and I hadn't seen this movie in a number of years. But when we get to um the Rick Decker, the uh Rick Dicker, the government agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I now because I saw Incredibles 2 so recently, I immediately associated uh that guy with, with that voice instead of Bud Lackey. Um or Bud right. Lucky I mean uh because in the right in the new because Bud lucky had died by that point so they'd had him replaced with um uh the guy from um oh i can't remember his name but he was in uh you know the jonathan banks he did it in the second film okay okay and you know from uh, breaking bad so i had associated that character now with jonathan banks's very distinctive voice so it was kind mm-hmm. of jarring to see it to hear a different voice coming out of him in this movie
2: right well and that's that's the other you know potential potential pitfall with you know making a sequel 14 years after the original movie i mean your your kid actors they're yeah. all grown up i mean the the, the guy who played uh, the guy who played dash his name was uh uh i wrote this down i wrote spencer fox oh yeah they well, had a
0: they'd get a different actor for that because obviously that guy yeah you I know mean, his voice yeah spencer fox is
2: now like in his 30s i think and i, I think mm-hmm. he's like he's got a, a career in music now but uh I don't know who the, who dash is in the second movie, but uh, it's it's not Spencer Fox. Right. Um, Sarah Vowell is in both. She's Violet Parr in both movies. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I think she does stand up comedy. I think I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, she does. I- I've seen her. I've seen okay. her on
0: like appear uh, on the Daily Show. And uh, no, not only that, but she's also like um, she's like a social commentator. I've she's like done a lot of essays and like books and that kind
2: of stuff. Okay. Um, Uh, Is that, yes, is that, is that, is that sort of like, you know, squeaky voice? Is that like her, the real deal with her? I mean, I'm not familiar with her outside of these movies. I, yeah,
0: from what I, what I remember, yeah, it's, uh, very, very, very similar. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think she might go like a little bit, uh, different. Like it's slightly different from her main voice, but that is basically, uh, what her voice is like.
2: And I don't, I don't know how old she is, but she does the, the adolescent, you know, the teenage girl. Very well. Just to turn, not mm. did like the not just the quality of the voice, but just sort of the whole, you know, shy, withdrawn, um, awkward. Um, you know, it's just as I said before, it's just perfect that they, you know, they cast her as the invisible character because, you know, like so many adolescents, it's just like they feel completely marginalized and I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. I just pretend I'm not here. I'm just going to fade into the woodwork. So she mm. does that very well, just with her voice.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah she's also done a lot of she's she was also a editor on uh, this American life um for uh okay. over 10 years too. So she yeah she wow. she mostly okay. I think most of her career is in stuff that is not at all related to acting. So it mm-hmm. it was kind of surprising when I saw her name in the credits and I'm just like wait a minute don't that's not what I associate that name with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'd be curious to know how Bird hooked her up with that role because as you say, it's it's not it's not her typical wheelhouse. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some other things
0: that uh, really kind of stood out to you uh, on rewatch? Uh,
2: you know, the 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 music score I think is brilliant. Um, uh, what's is it? Is Mike Michael G, Michael Giacchino? I wrote this down. Mm. Um, who uh, has done his? I mean, it's it's interesting because he like you know while this is a superhero movie, it's definitely like. He brings an element of like Cold War James Bond to the to the whole experience. Just with the I was with thinking the, with the, the same soundtrack. thing, yeah. And it's it it's so good. I mean, it just it's like it's 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 like you're halfway through and you realize not only is this a superhero movie, this is like a spy movie too. It yeah. just sounds like one. Between between the, the between the music score and the gadgets and the in the hardware and the planes, it's it's just as much James Bond as it is Fantastic Four. And, well, and I mean, it that... makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, Syndrome's
0: because, whole island base, right? That, that's straight right. out of like Dr. No or Honor Majesty's right.
2: Secret Service, right? It's very evocative of both those two movies. And if you think about when Fantastic Four premiered, 1961, that was the mm-hmm. that was the sweet spot for all that stuff. So yeah. um, it just, you know, it's it's not only a fun movie to watch, it's a fun movie to listen to. And I'm not just talking about the dialogue either. I mean, um, just the soundtrack alone is just is just it's just so I the only word i can think of is cool, smooth, you know, mm-hmm. just very very uh cold war espionage.
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too when you when you mentioned that and, and uh i had almost forgotten to mention that about the about the soundtrack and how much it felt like i was watching a James Bond movie. Um especially in the in the sequence when Holly and the kids go to the island or Holly's uh, uh yeah. <laughs> Helen go to the, Helen, uh, Yeah, yeah. Got got to mix up with the the actress's name. Um yeah. but yeah, it, it it has that very evocative feel to it and it's you know, and just like the whole design of it, right. It's like this very like retro yes. futuristic.
2: Yes. Uh, right. Design exactly. Of the movie. Right. Right. Again, the whole cold war, like this is what the future looked like 50 years ago or 60 years right. ago. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I thought it was a,
0: it was a really cool choice. It reminded me kind of how, um you know, the Batman the animated series or or Superman the animated yes. series, how they had incorporated those kind of like retro, almost like, you know, in Batman, it was kind of like this almost like 1930s kind of yes. style aesthetic, where as yes. Superman, it was more of like the Art Deco type of thing into it. And they yes. tried to incorporate those styles into the city alongside mm-hmm. like modern technology and all that to create this kind of timeless setting. And this right. movie does something very similar. Or, you know, if if you're a video game fan at all, the, the Fallout series had that very kind of same idea where it's like this, um, you know, this 1950s, 1960s version uh, of the future just in an apocalyptic wasteland type of thing
2: right well and at the same time a lot of this movie looks very pedestrian like the mm-hmm. car that bob drives you know he, yeah. of course he's too big for the car but it's like i think it's like it looks like something sort of like a station wagon but not quite it looks like you know it just it looks like something out of like maybe 19 you know a family of four would be would be riding around town in, in 1972 or 1975 mm-hmm. it just it looks just very generic you know, and he's working for a you know an insurance company. It just mm-hmm. um, it's 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 sort of an interesting juxtaposition of like edgy and futuristic in a retro kind of way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, a lot of a, a lot of the aspects of this family's life is just very like just traditional and just very you know suburban. Yeah, I mean, I think that Bird does a good job of
0: drawing those contrasts between the you know the more. Uh, the more exotic superhero trappings and like the more futuristic type of world with these very mundane activities and the, yeah. the, the banality of their everyday existence type of thing. Right. Um, right. I mean the, you know, with him in the office there, like, you know, you see all these, all these the stacks of paper around him, but I do mm-hmm. love that they show us something really interesting about his character, how he is trying to, do good in some small way, even as he's working for this insurance company where he's, you know, he's trying to teach his clients like how to navigate the, the bureaucracy so that they can actually, you know, get the help they need.
2: Right. Right. I think he even says that at some point, I think the character even says at some point, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm still trying to do good. Mm. There's some kind of a line. It's very brief. I think where he says something like, at least I'm doing some kind of good or something like that. But uh, yeah. uh, Yeah. But like, yeah, clearly the whole concept of like selling insurance, no matter how mundane it is, it's like it's some it's a tenuous connection to what he was doing back in the day.
0: Yeah. Also, I love Wallace Shawn as his boss. Right. Another, you know, iconic uh, voice coming out of that character there. And just like that's a voice. Sorry, go ahead. I'm
2: sorry. No, I was was going to say say, just like the yeah, the perfect casting for that type of role. It's funny, because it's a voice I recognized immediately, but I, I, could, not, I could not picture his face in, his, his, his face in real yeah. life. But I, I think I've, I've heard that voice probably for, you know many, many years. but uh, um, I don't know that I could even put a face on that voice. There's a documentary um it, it was on Netflix
0: I'm not sure if it still is but it's called like I Know That Voice and it's like all yes. about like these iconic voices that you hear in movies all the time.
2: Yes, right, right, right. And uh, and a lot of times in animation they look nothing like what you expect. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. in fact it was funny. I was looking at him and he almost the the character's design kind of looks like William H Macy, but and yes,
2: uh, I thought the same thing. Yes, I agree. I that, agree.
0: So that's where my mind went first. I'm like that looks like William H. Macy, but it does not sound like him.
2: Right. Right. right, 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 right. Yeah. There you know there is or I I seem to recall last night I said I was watching uh the 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 second one and my wife said is there is there are there plans for a third one and I said I don't know and she looked it up and apparently there are. Are you familiar with that? Um there Bird has talked about it, but he, I don't
0: think he's exactly, you know, quite settled on it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know he, I think, I, I think we had mentioned this in the other episode. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, theres he had, he's had it ruled it out, but he had, I don't think he had found like his, his way to get into it yet.
2: Yeah. I just, I, I worry that like, you know, anything, no matter how good it is can be milked too, too, too long. And it'd be, kind of like become stale and and i just i would hate to see that happen to this to this franchise it just um it it was like i said like i said before it was it was a gamble to to create do a sequel 14 years after the first movie um i don't know how much longer you can do that and still Mm -hmm. be as fresh as you've been in the the first two right
0: so um well what had happened with the second one is that it it had a truncated production schedule so there was um uh in, in 2016, uh, Pixar decided to swap the release dates of Toy Story 4 and Incredibles 2. And mm-hmm. so because of that, you know, Incredibles 2 lost like a full year of production. And yeah. so Bird actually had a lot more plot lines that he wanted and ideas that he wanted to put in the second film, but he had mm-hmm. to cut them out, which also kind of makes me wonder if maybe that was for the best because that movie already felt, you know, overstuffed. So, yeah, um, yeah, but he said that uh that he could use those ideas for a third film. um mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson and uh Sophia Bush have both said that they would they would return, and right uh John Walker, who was the producer, said he wouldn't rule it out, so that's that's, that's right. the most recent thing that Wikipedia
2: has about it. um I remember watching this the second one, and like Frozone's first appearance on screen, he doesn't say a word mm-hmm. and I'm, and if, and for for the for the first couple minutes, I'm thinking. Maybe, you know, maybe Samuel, maybe Jackson didn't come back. So we're just going to see a few seconds of Frozone and then we're going to like, we're going to transition him out of the story. Mm-hmm. But his voice does show up within a matter of a few minutes. But like the first, the first sequence, is just him in action, no dialogue. And and I was thinking, are, is, you know, how much of this, how much of Frozone are we going to see in this story? Because I'm not hearing Samuel Jackson's voice. Maybe he just didn't want to come back for this one, but obviously right. he did. Yeah. 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 Um any other things that really kind of stood out to
0: you about, um, about the Incredibles?
2: It's just, uh, it's, it's just a, I, I, as I said before, I think I've seen it four or five times now and it continues to be fresh. I just don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't watch it frequently, but when I do, it just, it's always like, there's always something new to catch. Um, Mm -hmm. which is just, you know, usually after the fifth or sixth viewing of anything, you kind of know the story in and out, but, um, there's a lot going on here um both on the surface and underneath and there's plenty to be looking for every time you watch it so uh um i i, I it's funny because we showed it to our kids when they were real little and they loved it and they still love it and you know I, whether they're around or not and they're not they're both in college now but i mm-hmm. you know I, I i always enjoy just pulling it out and watching it just uh there's just so much to see yeah
0: i mean i think this is this is one of those movies that especially if you watched it while you were a kid like i could definitely see this sticking with you throughout your whole life i mean you know for me the trying to think of any animated films that really kind of stick like that for me i mean live action i could definitely think of ones like the oh yeah the original sure. batman or the original superman mm-hmm. those ones you know or you know star wars those ones stuck with me ever since i first saw them ghostbusters another one um right. in terms of I guess in animation, the one that's probably stuck with me the most is not even fully animated. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Um, right. But like a lot of the a lot of the, the animated films I watched as a kid, um, they didn't stick with. Oh wait, no.
2: I take that back. Batman: uh, Mask of the Phantasm would be the one then. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, um, I, 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 I mean, I, I certainly enjoy animated films, but I, I can't say, generally speaking, I can't say with a couple exceptions, I, I can't say that they pack the same emotional punch as i get when i see actual actors in a live action film but but i would say that the exceptions to that would be the iron giant and probably to some degree this movie as well it just there's um there's enough like resonance you know in terms of character development that like i i i watch these characters unfold and by by midway through i'm I'm really rooting for all of them and Uh you know it just um which is you don't always get at least I don't always get that with animation unless it's really this the story is really well done
0: no i i I totally understand that i I kind of feel the same way like, um, you know, you know I do my my move my podcast on Japanese movies. and whenever I'm seeking out guests for that, invariably I get you know a lot of people want to talk about anime films and mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to talk about all anime just because a. <laughs> You know there are a lot of other podcasts that do that, and B, I'm much more interested in the in the live action films instead. Right. Um. So I so I try I make a conscious effort to limit how many anime films I do per season on that show. Um, right. And yeah, you know, animation it's just it it doesn't appeal to me as as much as live action does does either you know it's and it it's not a knock on the medium by any stretch of the imagination no
2: not at all no no it's just different experience yeah
0: right yeah it's just like it's just more of a personal preference um Mm -hmm. and that's just that's how i've always kind of felt with it like there's but there are films that are the exception this being this definitely being one of them i would say
2: Mm -hmm. i mean i i feel like again we talked about you know watching it as a younger person and watching the movie Mm -hmm. as an older i mean you know i i you kind of feel bob parr's struggle when he realizes i can't i can't do that thing that i really used to love doing anymore i I have to i have to reconcile the fact that you know circumstances are such now that i can't do that anymore or um you know watching Helen struggle with i'm trying to be a good mom i'm trying to be a good wife and i you know it just it's just too much and i'm i'm trying to build a life after the whole superhero thing is over and um those are the kinds of things you 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 start to connect to more as you get older and you watch a story like that
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Well, that's a, that's a pretty good note to end
0: on, I think. So, uh, John, why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Let's see. Most of my stuff is on Um, Amazon.com. I have an author page with pretty much everything I have published. Um, You can find me there. Uh, There is a there is a website in the works as as we speak. Um, And hopefully that will be up and running by the end of the year. Uh, that is the plan right now. It, it's in development right now. Actually, there's 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 two websites. There's there's a Flinch website in the works, and there's also my own website, and they're sort of happening in parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, neither is going as fast as I would like, but um, mm-hmm. I think the Flinch website will be up and running hopefully by the end of this year. So that will be sort of one place where you can find all the Flinch published all the all the Flinch books. Um, we're up to 13 titles now. We're working on 14 and 15 that which will be out in 2024. So. Uh, yeah so uh for the time being you can find my stuff on amazon i have an author page just look me up there um and uh and uh, you know and there's in and, the and, and the list is always growing i'm always working on something mm. new
0: okay all right so we'll have a link to that amazon page in the show notes so please make sure to check that out as for us superhero cinephiles.com is the website we are super cinema pod on uh instagram and blue sky still technically on twitter but you know it, it's <laughs> run by a fascist psychopath now so i try not to spend much time there <laughs> uh pretty much just uh, it's just there for like updates for new episodes uh but otherwise well, my most thoughts of... exactly yes. yeah yeah um uh but also you know i've got my comic book coming out soon paragons of earth which um being co-written by myself and thomas dj uh eric johns is doing the pencils and i'm doing the inks and the colors and the letters on that we are still found crowdfunding that and that is at crowdfunder.com slash paragon's comic that is crowdfundernoe.com slash Paragon's comic uh there's also a link to that in the show notes uh please help support it uh we've we the comic is definitely gonna come out even if it doesn't fund to the the maximum amount but if it funds the maximum amount that will determine whether or not we get a second issue so please um back that comic you'll definitely get a copy if you do and uh that does it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey, guys, Perry here. Jumping in after the fact at the uh, right before I upload this episode, I realized that this is coming out on December 18th, which means next, weekend, next week, Monday, is December 25th, and the Monday after that is January 1st. So um, I'm not going to be releasing episodes on Christmas and New Year's. Instead, I'll be taking those two weeks off, and you will hear from the show again in the new year. And I will talk to you once more on January 8th. Thanks so much for listening for this year, uh, since I've gotten back from vacation, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show was created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host, Emeritus. Visit us on the web at cinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links, or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting crowdfunder.com/paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder with no e.com/paragonscomic, and help support my superhero comic book Paragons of Earth. We are Super Cinema Pod on both Instagram and Blue Sky, so please be sure to follow us. We'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends.